A lot of organizations, and even some of us, assume that the chief way to motivate employees is with money. On today's episode, behavioral economist Dan Ariely teaches us what the research says about how to motivate people to do their best work. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 282. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And I'm really glad that you joined today's conversation because motivation is a topic that I think almost every leader thinks about each day, if not even articulates each day as a core competency that they need to be able to do well in order to get results for themselves, for the people around them, and of course, for the organization. And I'm really thrilled to be talking to someone today who is an expert on human behavior, economics, and has a new book out on motivation, someone I have been following for a long time and has absolutely influenced a lot of my behavior in not only my professional work, but also the things I do personally as well. And that is Dan Ariely. Dan does research in behavior economics and tries to explain it in plain language. He is the James B. Duke Professor of Psychology and Behavioral Economics at Duke University and a founding member of the Center for Advanced Hindsight. He's a three-time New York Times bestselling author. His books include Irrational Years, Predictably Irrational, The Upside of Irrationality, and The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. He's here today to share the lessons from his most recent book, Payoff, The Hidden Logic That Shapes Our Motivations. Dan, I've really been looking forward to talking to you because it is hard for me to overstate how much uh, the lessons from your work and your research, particularly from Predictably Irrational, have shaped a lot of my thinking and strategy over the years on how I think about pricing and uh, behavior around business decisions. So thank you so much for all the work you've done in in influencing so many of us. Thank you. It's, uh, thanks for the compliment. I highly appreciate it. It's, 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 uh, I have to say, you know, this kind of leads really nice to motivation that, you know, kind of uh, writing stuff and not knowing whatever happens to this uh, writing is, is a very sad profession. And, you know, for many years as an academic, I would just write and kind of assume that papers were going somewhere and somebody would read it, but, but that was it. And trying to write some books actually had this incredible effect that all of a sudden people started uh, reading. And from time to time, somebody said, you know, I, I read something and uh, I, made, I made a change and it's, it's just incredibly gratifying. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because when I saw that you'd written a book on motivation, I was really excited to pick it up. One of the things that I thought was interesting about the book is that I think a lot of leaders think about motivation, as I mentioned in the intro, and we think about what do we need to do to motivate people on a daily basis or you know, what do I need to motivate people going into this next meeting. But one of the things you say in the book is that human motivation is actually based on a time scale that is long and sometimes even longer than our lifetimes. I was wondering if you could tell us more about that. Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's, a very general, it's a very general thought, but if you think about what motivates us, uh, we often think that what motivates us are kind of short-term happiness, you know, sitting on the beach, drinking mojito, doing something, doing something at the end of the day. 
but but if you if you actually look at what we do, the things that really drive us and compel us um, don't don't actually involve daily happiness. There are things like starting a business. You don't, you don't see many moments in people's lives when they start a business that are you know laughing out loud or smiling from ear to ear. It's mostly difficult and complex and challenging and, and so on. And and the joy that we get from that is, is about accomplishment and achievement and improving and learning and figuring things out. And the things that we get from that are not you know being tickled. It's not it's not that 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 sense. But that's truly what motivates us. This is the, the, the truly the things that get people to sustain a very long period of a very very difficult, very difficult task. But but sometimes somehow even though, you know, the moment you say it, it's it's easily recognizable, and you would say yes, I understand this. <laughs> and it's it's not the case that when we design compensation system for other people, we take this into account. So it's not as if when we design motivational system. For other people, we take this into account. All of a sudden, when we deal with ourselves, we recognize that we care about creating something and a legacy and so on. But for other people, we give daily bonuses and weekly bonuses and maybe monthly bonuses. But we, but we, we treat other people very mechanically as if they're all after money and nothing but money. Mm. That's one of the really interesting lessons that I, I, I saw as a theme throughout the book is that a lot of us underestimate the power of meaning. And that's a word you use a lot in the book. And I'm wondering where we are getting it wrong. Um, so, so, so I, I don't know where exactly we're getting it wrong, but, but I'll tell you one, one kind of thing. So think about something like exercising. When you think about exercising while not exercising, and let's assume you don't like it, <clears throat> no, not that, you're, that you don't like exercising, but when you think from the outside of exercising, you, you think about the, the moment that you'll start exercising. You'll think about difficulty breathing, the muscles um, aching. You think about all kinds of negative things. When you're in, let's say you're running, when you're in the moment, your mindset is different. You might enjoy the sound of your breath. You might enjoy the stretching muscles. You, we, we're very different. We have the outside perspective in which we try to predict how we would feel when we're in a particular situation. And then our mental model of ourselves is very mechanical. I need to put shoes on. It will be a pain and so on. But when we're doing something, when we're in the middle, in the midst of doing something, we can get into the zone. We can get excited and so on. Um, but... But we don't predict that. Well, we don't predict it well, at least. And I think that what happens is that when we think about other people, we're always in the outside view. We always see the mechanics of it. We say, oh, let me re-engineer this person's schedule and let me re-engineer uh, this thing. We, we don't understand the true joy that people have because to do it, we have to be in it. And then we have to be it, in it ourselves. But but because of that we don't have the good the good intuition. So um, think about something like I don't know credit. Right? It is amazing. Like credit is free. 
you could go around the office and tell everybody, my goodness, you've done such a good job. Your contribution to this project has been tremendous. I, I know it's, it's you. You've done a lot for it. I'm not, I'm not saying to lie, by the way, right? But I'm just saying you can, you can share credit and you can share credit broadly. You can give credit to everybody. Everybody will be happy, right? Nobody, nobody will say um, it's too much credit or don't give it to me or I don't deserve it. And everybody will be very happy. How often do we do that? How often do we go to people and, and just give them credit? We, we treat credit as if it's a scarce resource, as if we have less credit than gold, that we have to give it very, very rarely and very, very carefully. Mm. No. Uh, just as a, as, a, as a funny story, I, I got a call from a big bank. This was a, a, one of the biggest banks in the world. And they wanted to talk to me about their compensation scheme. And for two hours, they presented the 16 equations they use to compensate people. It's about how much money you bring and how much you help other people and you know, like all kinds of equations and parameters and so on. And we had long debates and discussions about each of those things. But at the end of it, I said, okay, so we have all these equations and we can question them and we have some, some interesting things. But I said, what also happens when you give somebody a check for more than a million dollars? Like what actually happens in a room when somebody gets a large bonus over a million dollars. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, look, what, what happens? Is it in an envelope? Is it, is it uh, just the, the, the check? Do you handshake? Do you hug? Do you have a beer? Is there, is there a little token that comes with it? A watch? You know, what, 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 what else goes on? And they say nothing. They say it comes in an envelope. You give it to the person. You don't even say thank you. And you say, here's your bonus, and that's it. I said, well, no handshake, no, no beer. And they said, no, 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 we don't do all of this. And I was appalled because it's a publicly traded bank. So, you know, I must own some of their shares in my portfolio. <laughs> right. and, and, and they're not maximizing shareholder value, right? Like they're, they're wasting a tremendous amount of money. I said, you know what? If you, by, by hugging somebody and buying them a beer, you could give them $100,000 less and keep them as motivated as they are. It's your obligation to do it, right? But the fact is that they haven't really thought about it. Like they thought about every like mechanical element. It's, it's as if we think about people like robots and they thought about every mechanical element to re-engineer these people's environments and incentives and so on. You know what? The employees don't even know what these 16 equations are. But... But thinking about something like goodwill, gratitude, reciprocity, completely out of the picture. But the reality is that those things like goodwill and reciprocity are incredible. And I'll, t- I'll tell you one more story again in banking. Sorry, too many banking stories. But I had, I had a, an ex-student who was working in a bank in New York. And, and one year, instead of a bonus, um, his boss gave him the use of an apartment that his uh, boss had for a whole year. Oh, nice. Now, this guy was married. His wife was almost eight months pregnant. They were going to have a child. They were living a little bit away from the office. And his boss says, why don't you move to this apartment for the first year of your, of your baby's life? And, and you know what? It was an unbelievable gift. Now, this guy said that... It probably was much cheaper for him than to give him the, the, the yearly bonus that he got. But the loyalty that he got as a consequence of that was 
very, very different in proportion. And not only that, he said every day when he was able to go in the middle of the day for a few minutes and say hi to his uh, wife and, and young daughter was, was an experience in gratitude for his previous boss. Right? But, but somehow we, we don't think about all this. Well, I'm I'm really glad you brought up money because that's something that is is you mentioned in the book and you mentioned a lot of your other work and I've seen a lot of articles and research too on this is that our our understanding of monetary bonuses is really interesting in a lot of organizations and I, and I'm wondering from the research you've done how do monetary bonuses play a role in our motivation to do our best work does it work does it not work yeah so so i think there's there's really no good evidence for it working and all kinds of evidence for it not working so so let's let's uh, think a little bit about kind of big bonuses to start with okay so so in one experiment uh, then we did this was an experiment we we ran we um uh, people came to, to, to came to a facility we had, and they worked for us for about an hour, doing all kinds of things that require creativity and uh, accuracy and coordination and so on. And and we had um, we had some people that we offered them a bonus that was equal to one day of wages. <clears throat> so if you perform well, you could get up to one day uh, of wages. Some people got. Um, a bonus that was uh, up to two weeks of wages, right? Much, much, much more. And some people uh, got got a bonus or could get a bonus that was up to five months of salary, right? That's really a lot. And and you can say what what was the effect? What what was the performance? Well, what happened was that the people who got the <coughs> one day um, of bonus performed well. The people that it moved to Two weeks of pay as a bonus stayed about the same, didn't go up, didn't go down. The people who in principle had the, the five months bonus condition performed much worse. Why, why much worse? Because they were stressed. Money is a motivator, but it's also a stressor. So when I pay you a high amount, yes, you want to get that amount, but you're also stressed. Imagine I gave you $100 million, $100,000 if your next joke was going to be just incredible. How much of your mindset would be allocated to figuring out the joke? And how much of your mindset would be allocated to, I'm not making this money, I'm not making this money. And, and it turns out that your, your mindset of just afraid that you're not making this money is much, much stronger and the stress is much, much higher. <coughs> so, so this is what happens at the, at the high level, that big bonuses, Actually, if you, if you even think about this, right, it's kind of amazing, but if you even think about it, what, what do large bonuses mean? They mean, I'm not paying you enough and you don't care about this job enough to just do it. I need to add more money to the equation. Mm. And not only that, I need to add that m- amount of money in a particular way that will get you to do something specifically that you want, don't want to do. But by putting this pile of money and by getting you to think about this pile of money all the time, I will somehow get you to perform better. What a shocking combination of, of ideas, right? Like in, in what world would thinking all the time, waking up all the time and thinking about that money is going to get people to perform better? Most of the times you want people to be fully engrossed in their jobs. You don't want them to think about money. Like how many times 
a day do you think you should be thinking about how much money you make or what kind of bonus you could make rather than thinking about whatever you're, you're working? The answer is probably zero. So that's on the high side of money. But then we also have on the low side of money, we have lots of small bonuses, little gifts and so on. And here too, what we find is that don't, don't always function as we, as we want them. So, so in payoff, I, I describe an experiment we read with, with Intel and uh, Intel, the chip manufacturer. And in their, in their production facility, uh, people come for four days, <coughs> very long shifts. So they come for four days on, four days off, four days on, four days off. And Intel has been doing this thing where on the first day of the shift, the first day of the four days on, they say to people, here is a target. If you reach that target, we'll give you $30. If you don't reach this target, you'll get zero. If you reach this target, you'll get $30. And, and when, we, when we heard about this, we asked them if they will allow us to run a control condition. And the control condition basically included nothing. And they allowed us. And then we said, what about another condition in which we'll give people pizza? So uh, instead of giving them uh, $30 if they reach the threshold, we'll give them a voucher for pizza. We actually wanted real pizza in the beginning, but we settled on a voucher for pizza. And then we had the fourth condition in which we gave people a compliment. They got a text message from the boss saying, nice, <coughs> nice job. Now, what happened in the money condition is on the first day of the shift, people performed better. That was good, better than the control condition, slightly worse than the pizza and the compliment condition. But on the next day, the day that there was no bonus and no target, they performed worse than a control condition. So what happened is that you pay people on, let's say, Monday for performance and performance goes up a little bit, but on Tuesday, their performance really tank. It's as if people said, yesterday you paid me, I was interested. Today you're not paying me, I'm not interested. Right? And money, as we said, has this tendency to make our contract short time rather than long time. So rather than thinking about loyalty and commitment and connection to the work and something long-term, we say it's tit for tat. You pay me, I work. You don't pay me, I don't work. And even though it was a small amount, it basically changed people's kind of time relationship to the work and they stopped working. The, the compliment, by the way, increased performance on the first day more than the money, slightly more, but more. And then the performance slowly went down over the next three days, but it was always better than the control condition. And, and just to give numbers, by giving people a bonus of $30, Intel lost 5% of productivity compared to doing nothing. Mm. By, giving, by giving compliments, they could gain another 3% of productivity. So, so what happened is that you know, money can do what is called crowding out. It can take our internal motivation and rather than say, I'm connected to the company, I care about it, I do all kinds of things. It basically says, no, 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 no. All we care about is this very, very short thing. And people say, really, that's it? Not that interested. I really find that fascinating. Um, it's one of the reasons, by the way, that uh, I don't think we'll ever pay our kids for doing the things they're supposed to do around the house or getting good yeah. grades or anything like that. Because like you said, it sets up that short-term motivation versus the long-term commitment that you really want. And I think that one of the questions, of course, that gets asked from leaders who are maybe hearing some of this research for the first time is, okay, that that makes sense. What do I do instead, though? Is it as, is it as simple as being more intentional about 
giving um, giving positive reinforcement, or is there a broader is there a broader mind shift change that we need to make as leaders? So, so first of all, just as something about money and kids, you know, there, there's some things like learning how to read. Or you say you just have to plow through the first few months, which is just painful, and then it's going to get much better. And, and in those cases, you could say, okay, there's some things that, you know, paying people is okay because you just have to go through a short-term um, situation until, until the experience changes dramatically and then you start, in, in, start enjoying it. So there, there could be a few cases where you could do short-term monetary uh, incentives. And it doesn't have to be money. It could be, uh, you know, stuff. But more generally, I think that we need to move away from short-term relationships to long-term relationships. And by the way, it doesn't mean not paying people. It just means that every time you pay people, you want to pay them in a way that symbolizes a long-term relationship rather than a short-term relationship. So if I give you a $50 bonus because you did a good job yesterday, that's a short-term thinking. If I open for you a college saving account for your summer vacation, you know, eight months from now, that's long-term thinking. If I open for you a college savings account for your kids, who is, you know, five, that's a real long-term thinking. So it's not about just money. It's not that every time there's a dollar involved, it's negative. It's about the fact that we want to shift our motivation from long-term contracts to, to from short-term contracts to long-term contracts, right? This is why we we don't want to pay by the day. We want to pay by, by the year or by the month. And this is why we give people social benefits and we want people to have cafeterias and so on. We do all kinds of things to show people that we care about their well-being, not just about the moment, but in general. But then somehow in compensation, we, uh, we, de- we destroy that feeling. So I think, I think we need to maintain that feeling in compensation as well. What's an example of an organization that you've seen that has really taken this to heart and has changed their thinking and their their procedure around how they do that that's more in alignment with that long-term commitment? Yeah, so I, so I think sadly, it's mostly startups. And, and I'm saying sadly because I, I really would like it to be um, more part of you know corporate America uh, largely. Uh, but startups are the ones that have embraced, you know, giving shares and so on. Maybe the one example recently that is, is kind of curious, it's not really taking this into account, but slightly, is T-Mobile. If you remember, T-Mobile basically gave all their customers some shares, right? And these are tiny amounts of shares, but, but think about what it means. Think about the symbolism that says, you're not just a customer, you own part of the company, right? That's, that's I think, is an amazing shift in mind, in mind share. So I really like this. Another company, by the way, that I really admire uh, in this regard is SAS, the statistical software company. And uh, when the financial crisis hit, Goodnight, uh, one of the founders of the company and the CEO uh, stood up in front of everybody and said, you know, these are going to be difficult times. We are going to get hit, but I promise you, we're not going to lay off anybody. Right. And, and the, the guy basically, you know, uh, used his own fortune to, to uh, offset the challenges of the next uh, few years. But, but that's an amazing statement of 
we're not here that if there's a short term and, and in this case, you know, short term could be two years. It's basically say we're here for a really long time. One of our Academy members, Brett, had recently read uh, the book. And one of the things he was really interested in, in in thinking on applying the book is just how to influence better across the organization. He was wondering how he could foster and encourage motivation and a sense of meaning with those in his organization that are outside of his direct sphere of influence. Yeah. So, so um, you know, thankfully, we have lots of ways to get, uh, to get meaning. There's lots of ways to do it. Um, one of the ways is to think about who are the people that we're influencing, right? So imagine a group of engineers sitting in some uh, office building, uh, writing codes for some software that does image processing for medical imaging. How connected do they feel to what they're doing? Maybe not so much. Uh, what if from time to time we show them an image of a patient and the story of that patient and how that patient was saved because of their uh, software, right? And, and, you know, if you just thought about people as functional, you would say, oh, this is just taking time away from them, right? They could be coding another three lines. Why, why should we show them a picture of this uh, all the gentlemen who were who saved because of the technology. No, no, no. This is what you want to do. You want to create the sense of here is what you're actually doing. Yes, it's true that you're writing this code, but what you're actually doing is helping in the following, in the following way. So getting people to be connected to what they're doing and have a bit more visibility to uh, the outcome of their effort is one centrally important step in this process of finding of finding connection and meaning, and it doesn't have to be limited to the people who work, who work with you. It could be anywhere. So it's almost like Dale Carnegie said almost a hundred years ago: try honestly to see, you know, tr- try to really find the nobler motive for what it is you're doing, not just the daily work, but um, the yep. bigger picture. And present it, and present it, and in a vivid way. I love it. You know, uh, leaders and researchers, of course, are always learning. And I'm curious in the course of your research, Dan, what's something that you believe to be true today that you didn't believe or maybe even recognize five years ago? Well, of, of course, it has to do with distractions. Um, you know, I think that the proliferations of uh, phones and notifications and texting and WhatsApp and so on, uh, have made it clear to us in, a, in an amazing way how limited our attention is and how easily distracted we are. So there's some experiment in which you, you take people and you put them in front of a computer and you give them some math problems and then you ask them to put their, comp- their phones aside and not to touch them. And from time to time you call that phone and you text it so the phone buzzes and vibrates. And, and you can see visibly the, the reduction in performance on the math test. Right? Not by picking the phone, by just knowing that the phone, uh, there's a message on the phone or that it's, it's vibrating. And I, I, think, I think our understanding of how limited our attention is and how much technology is hijacking our attention and time is a phenomenon that is beyond, beyond our comprehension. So I think that's, that's one. And then I think that the, the other one is uh, you know, with, with the recent election and the technology that we have said, like Facebook, which is tailored to people's interests, uh, its ability to um, create 
people who believe in very different realities ha- have been amazing, right? So, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of all thought that we read the same newspaper, that we all share the same common understanding. But the fact is that the technology has allowed us to create very different shared realities, vastly different shared realities. And, and actually, I think um, creating a separation between us that is, is deeper and, and broader than we have imagined because we are sharing less and less commonalities. Dan, I really appreciate your thoughts and I uh, appreciate you taking uh, time to share the wisdom from this new book, Payoff. Um, I know also, in addition to the book, that you have a ton of resources on your website. It's, it's a great clearinghouse for information. Could you tell us a little bit more about where to go and just what's on the site for those who want to delve in more? Yeah, so I have uh, talks, there's some apps, uh, there's some reading material. It's www.danarielli.com. D-A-N-A-R-I-E-L-Y dot com. And yeah, I think, I think there's lots of good information. <laughs> well, Dan, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate all your work and how you have uh, really challenged me and I know challenged many of our listening audience to think about our behavior and the behavior of people around us and help us to really uh, maximize results for all of us and all of our organizations. So thank you so much for that. My pleasure. Nice to, nice to talk to you. Dan Ariely is the author of Payoff, The Hidden Logic That Shapes Our Motivations. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Dan, thank you so much. We are putting links to all of the resources Dan and I mentioned here in the show notes, and of course, will be included in the weekly leadership guide coming up on Wednesday, including the book and Dan's site. It's a great resource for a ton more on where we started the conversation here today. And if you'd like to get access to the weekly leadership that guide that comes on Wednesdays, the very best way to do that is to activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership. You will get immediate access to the weekly leadership guide, which always includes the notes for each episode. Uh, in addition, you also get access to a ton more on the coachingforleaders.com website. That's absolutely free, including my 10-day audio course that you'll start As soon as you activate your free membership, you'll get an email right away with the first lesson. The audio course is titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. It is 10 minutes a day for 10 days of audio that will help you to get the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. I have handpicked the best moments of the best conversations over the last several years from the experts who've appeared on this show. And if you will listen to even one of those lessons, I think you'll find that it'll help you to empower people much more effectively in your daily work. So you can activate that just by going to coachingforleaders.com, the main website. You'll see a place to do that. One of the other perks you get with the free membership is when you log in for the first time, you'll see there's a whole bunch of things you can do, but one of them is a button that says Dave's Library. And what that is, is I am cataloging constantly all of the things I'm finding online, all of the things I put into the weekly leadership guides for the last several years, all of those are cataloged in my online library. So if you're looking for an article or a podcast or a video on a particular topic, you can go right into the library there. You can hit the weekly guides button and you'll see every single resource that I've ever shared in the weekly leadership guides. But even more so than that, 
Uh, it's also all arranged by topic. There's probably two or 300 topic tags that are in there. So if you're looking for a particular resource on a particular area that'll help you lead better, even things outside of leadership, that's a great resource for you. So again, that's all under the free membership. Go to coachingforleaders.com to activate that right on the front page. Now, in relation to today's conversation, I'm having a hard time just nailing it down to a couple of past episodes that relate to many of the things Dan and I talked about. So here's five that if today's conversation is sparking something for you to say, hmm, maybe I want to rethink how I'm framing motivation in my own thinking, but also within the organization, I would recommend listening to episode 84. Daniel Pink was on the show, and it would be a disservice to humanity if I didn't mention Daniel Pink's book, Drive, in the context of this episode. It's a fabulous compliment to Dan's book, Payoff. Uh, they're both fabulous reads on human motivation. If you haven't read it before, I think it's a must read for almost every leader. It's been on virtually every leadership list book I've ever recommended. Uh, so that's episode 84. On episode 181, we talked about creating the best place to work with Ron Friedman. One of the findings from his research is very similar to Dan's in that the monetary perks and bonuses and incentives don't tend to correlate very strongly, if at all, with the results that you tend to see in organizations. So that's a great conversation to check out if you're looking for ways to make your workplace even better. On episode 251, Molly Mosley and I talked about what to do when someone quits. And one of the interesting points that came out in that conversation is that when companies are trying to retain someone who's looking at another opportunity and offer uh, some additional compensation or a bonus for sticking around, that tends to only work in the short term. Six months, maybe 12 months, a lot of times uh, those folks end up leaving anyway. So if that's something your organization's running into and that's the tactic you tend to use, I'd certainly suggest checking out episode 251. Also around that time, episode 253, David Burkus was on talking about new management practices of leading organizations. David went in and talked about some of and has looked at the research around um, what different organizations who are on the leading edge of rethinking their compensation and feedback systems, how they're approaching this in a very new way. And again, if you're looking for ideas, that's a great place to go. And then finally, speaking of ideas, most recently, episode 276, Jurgen Apollo was on talking about employee engagement with Management 3.0. Tons of ideas in that episode on how to think about motivation, creating meaning for your organization. I would highly recommend uh, that episode as a listen as well. So again, you can get to any of those by just going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number that will get you directly there. And of course, all of those are tagged by topic in the uh, free membership library. So you can access them there as well. And on the next episode, Bonnie and I are returning for the monthly Q&A show. You can submit your question for consideration in the next week's show or for the first Q&A show coming up the first Monday of every month by going over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And you can submit your question right there. And thanks in advance if you decide to do that. Thank you also to all of you for your great support and messages on the Coaching for Leaders Academy over the last couple of weeks. I'm still catching up on all the emails. I'll get back to you shortly if you emailed me. Thank you so much for your kind support. And also thank you to Greg Hall, Chase Bat, and Lin Wang out in Hong Kong for the very kind recent reviews you left on iTunes about the show. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful. If you have a moment to leave a rating or review, go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes, and that will allow you to do that. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Have a great week, and I look forward to being back with Bonnie next Monday. Take care.